The way that God loves us is the basis for our love for one another. It's not only the example, it's the very basis for our love for one another. We're in a two-week series about 1 Corinthians 13, which is all about loving one another. And both weeks, the special has been about God's love for us. It is the basis for our love for one another. We think of love in all kinds of strange ways and terms uh, in our day. It's always been that way. What do you love? What are the things that you love? When, what do you say, I love, and then you, you say, I love the fall. Anybody with me on that? I mean, I love this time of the year. I love football when it gets going. I love the nip in the air. I love the smell of all the food that you just wish it could taste as good as it smells at the state fair. But the chicken pitas and, you know, some of the other things are not really that bad. They're pretty good. And, and I actually even love shorter days. That, that, that may seem really strange to you, but here's my logic. When it's dark in the fall and in the winter, it's not time to go to bed. In the summer, especially at my age, when it gets dark, it's time to go to bed, you know. And I don't like that. I like to be able to do things in the night. Let's, uh, let's, take, a, let's take a poll and, and see. How many of you would say that winter, and winter is a close second to fall for me as far as my favorite season. I don't mind cold weather. I just don't like hot. How many of you would say winter's your favorite season? All right. Three or four really strange people. Uh, no, I, actually, I'm just that close to being strange in that regard. How about spring? How many of you would say spring? That's it. All right, quite a few. Summer. All right. Fall. All right. That's pretty evenly divided between spring, summer, and fall. And then, then for winter. Well, okay. I know what you love. Now, who do you love? If you love the person sitting next to you, raise... No, I'm just kidding about that. Uh might be a little awkward, especially in the second service when more students are here, you know, <laughs> if we were to do that. Um, we, we love all different kinds of people in all different kinds of ways. It's, it's one thing for you to say, I, I just love my fourth grade teacher because she inspired in me a love for learning. And I, I love her for that. It would be different for you to say that than for me to say, I am madly in love with the fourth grade teacher which is the position that my wife, Allison, happens to hold. And I am madly in love with this fourth-grade teacher right back there. It would be different still for us to say, I just love Chris Tomlin. I love the way that he writes music and the songs that he comes. We, we love all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. And, you know, <clears throat> not only do we love, I think all of us are looking for love. I mean, we may have a very tough exterior. We may say, I don't need anybody. But almost always, the person who says, I don't need anybody, has been hurt deeply. And so consequently has built up this wall of protection. And says, I'll just get through the best I can. We all need, though, and want love. You know, it's difficult for us to truly love other people sometimes because when we love, when we truly love someone, when we really give someone our heart, and it doesn't, I'm not talking about just a spouse 
talking about a, another family member, a good friend, a relative of some sort, somebody in the church. When we truly give our heart, we take a great risk of being hurt. And we've all been hurt. And so it's a rare thing for us to truly love and to truly give our, our hearts because we don't want to go down that road again. But the, but the problem is we can't really love without the risk of being hurt. You just can't do it. You're always holding back if you're not willing to get it, put it out there. And, and, and we have to recognize that when we do love like that, we, we risk being hurt at the level uh, at which it'll be difficult to recover. So it's a tough thing. How would you define love? What do you love? Who do you love now? How do you define love? I, I would imagine that we, we got quite a... A lot of different ideas about love. I mean, there are certain things that we would all agree on. We would all agree that love uh, has respect and care and, and compassion and thoughtfulness toward another person. These are all components of, of love. And, if, and if, if, if a person is seriously lacking in one of these areas, then we have to question the level of his or her Love, But beyond that, we all speak different love languages and, and we like to receive love in certain ways. And I'm sure that almost all of you are aware of this. If you're married, you desperately need to be aware of Gary Chapman's five love languages, how we all receive love. And we tend to give love in the way that we want to receive it. And we have different ways that we like to receive love. Physical touch. You know, when after my wife died, Linda died, I... I remember how much I missed that. I didn't think that was one of my love languages. But when somebody would just come up to me and, and, and just, you know, put, I don't, I'm not talking about any kind of inappropriate touch, but just touch would, would be very meaningful. Physical touch or, or words of affirmation or receiving gifts or focused attention. We all have particular ways that we like to receive love. And so that says love to us. When you do this for me, acts of service, that says to me, I love you, from you. So, love doesn't always look the same to everyone. What does Scripture have to say about love? Quite a bit, actually. Uh, last week, in this two-part series of 1 Corinthians 13, we looked at Matthew 22 to see just how important love is. Jesus said, when we love God with all of our hearts and we love our neighbors as we self, our, ourselves, we have fulfilled all of the law of God. We'll see that uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, that without love, in just a few moments when we read through in those first three verses that we looked at last week, we'll see how that nothing, nothing takes the place of love. And no matter how much we serve God or how effective we are, even how effective we are at serving God and advancing the kingdom, it, it means nothing without love. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians 13, then we're going to look closely at verses 4 to 7 to see how God describes love. And you, you need to know before we, we go here that it is absolutely impossible to love like this before we see Jesus, completely like this. But it is God's standard and we need to be asking Him to help us to love in this way. What is love? Well, 
Let's, let's see. In 1 Corinthians 13, would you please stand and we will read this entire chapter. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And I have, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish, childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. And as we pray, would you, would, would you be willing? R really, it's the prayer for every week as we come to the Word. But would you be willing to say something like this just, just in your heart right now? Lord, let me receive this word for me. Don't let me think about my neighbor. Let me think about me. Open my heart wide. And cause me to gladly and willingly accept your word. And do for me that which I cannot do in my own strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks and be seated. I want you to think about two people that you love. Maybe a parent or two, grandparent. Um, as we mentioned before, maybe a teacher who was very special to you, a, a, a neighbor, co-worker, someone at church. Think about two people that you love. May even be a brother or sister, you know. Could be even that, sibling. Now, now think about two people that you don't love. I mean, you know you're supposed to, but these are people that 
you just have great difficulty getting along with and, 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 and you wouldn't have anything to do with them if you didn't have to, but you're forced to because they're, they're in your family or they're a co-worker or maybe even they're at church and you know you're where you're supposed to be and it's difficult to love this person. What is our responsibility? It's to love all of these people well, the ones that mean so much to us and the ones with whom we find so much difficulty. <clears throat> It'll look different in some ways, but then in other ways it won't look different at all. Most people tend to think of love as an emotion. I mean, we know better, but let's face it. When we are said to be in love, it is quite an emotional high. <laughs> it, it just is. And we think about, we remember what it was like when, when we think about loving somebody, it just wells up in our heart and overflows sometimes. Especially if it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, or spouse. But, or, or, or seeing that baby for the first time. You know, or, or, or a parent who has just ministered, or a, or a sibling, or, you know the deal has ministered to us in a, in a very difficult time, and we just, we just, our, our feelings are very great, and we, and we tend to identify that with love. But as you know, emotions come and go. And if love is strictly based on emotions, it will come to an end, which is why so many people walk away, and they just say, and they simply say, I just don't love you anymore. As if... Love is all about feeling. So what is love? Is it action? Well, it would certainly be far closer to being action. You would be far more accurate if you said love is ac action. It's, it's, it's acting out. It's doing the things that you need to do. You'd be far more accurate there than you would if you just said love is a feeling. But, but I think it's deeper than that. I mean, I do think that, that love is a commitment that begins in the heart because we're only going to act for so long on the basis of how we think. And, and it starts on the inside. It starts as a commitment to another person, to the betterment of another person. Putting his or her needs and his or her well-being above my own. When we give to others, we always receive. Sometimes we receive more than we give. But... Regardless of the return, love is far more about giving than it is about receiving. And face it, a feeling is really more about receiving than it is about giving. Although I'm all for feeling. I'm just natured that way. Some of you are not. You know, emotions. Um, I remember uh, my father had bypass surgery. And the doctor came out and... Um, it was the same doctor my uncle had had to do his bypass surgery. Doctor, one of the doctors in Raleigh, I won't even mention his name, I shouldn't. You know, and uh, he just came and talked to us for just a brief moment. It was very brief. And some, somebody said, is he going to be okay? He said, yeah, he's going to be okay. And just had the slightest hint of a smile. And he left, and my uncle said that was a personality burst for him. I mean, this guy's just, you know, he's like a flatline personality. And, and, and that hint of a smile was, was a big deal. So some of us aren't natured that way. And, and, and we can't say that love is, 
is more in one person than it is in another just because someone is very demonstrative. Because generally those of us, and I put myself in this category, who are demonstrative, demonstrative in this way can be demonstrative in a not-so-good way as well. I mean, we're just emotional, and we tend to move that way. Others are not, and you tend to be more the same. We, we all are, 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 are natured differently, but that's not what determines whether we love or not. What does determine is our commitment to the other person. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7 is going to give us a good checklist to see how we're doing in our love for one another. Now, this list is not conclusive. It was, in fact, tailor-made for the people at Corinth who were having a difficult time getting along with one another. They, they suffered from the malady that, that some, well, from, that all of us suffer from, which is that we're madly in, 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 in love with ourselves, so much so that it's difficult to truly love other people. These struggles that these guys were facing were not unique. If Satan can get believers to divide, then he can do great damage to the kingdom. Complete the sentence. Jesus said, if you, this, by this will all men know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So if we struggle in our love for one another, Satan strikes at the very heart of what God intended for us to say to the world. Every church goes through difficult times where people misunderstand one another. Feelings get hurt. Every church goes through that. And face it, let's be honest, we're going through a bit of a tough spot here at Grace Community Church. It's not an easy time. Feelings have been hurt. The first day that students are back is a tough time to say this, but look, as we always say, you're part of our family. We want you to be part of our family. Not only students are back, we've got a lot of you coming here for just the first time, but look, we've all lived long enough to be hurt by somebody else. We've all lived long enough, and most of us are honest enough to say that we have hurt other people, whether it was, just a, whether it was intentional or not. We have, we have said things and done things that have been rather hurtful. So what do you do when there are misunderstandings and, and hurt feelings at church? Well, you've, you've, you follow. And by the way, so much of the New Testament was written about this very thing. It's not like this is unusual. It, it, it comes to every church. The thing that we do, first of, first of all, is to confess and ask forgiveness where it's necessary. And if we're going to talk, let's talk to the people with whom we have a problem, not with each other. James 3 is very clear about the damage that can be done with an undisciplined tongue. In areas of differences that can't be reconciled, sometimes we just look at ministry, we look at life differently. And in those areas, just accept them and move on the same way you would in a family. If, if, if you have struggles in a family, and we're a family. If you have struggles in a family, you learn to love people in spite of the differences. And you hang in there with them. We need to learn to live together as a family, even when we go through a rough patch. 
How do we do that? We love each other. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 was written. It wasn't written to tell young married couples how to survive that first year when you think you're just going to kill each other, you know, and, and, and learn to love. Although the exalted prose of 1 Corinthians 13 transcends the, the struggles that were happening at 1 Corinthians, I mean at Corinth, at the, at the Corinth church, it's good for anybody in any relationship. But it was written, though, it's helpful to know that it was, it was written to challenge brothers and sisters in their differences with one another to love each other anyway. Verses 4 through 7 were written to deal with those issues that come up in every church. We need to hear this today. I need to hear this today. You need to hear this. So let's jump in. And as we do, acknowledge that while this church, this chapter was written in response to people who were saying, I'm more spiritual than you because of this, and, and they were struggling to get along, it is a wonderful way to, to, to gauge and measure our love that we have in a marriage relationship, in a family relationship, in the neighborhood, in the office. No matter where we are, how do we love other people? And we need, and it will help us to learn how to love all of these people better than we do now. Love is patient. Love is kind. I've preached from this passage many times before, especially in camp days when I would talk to high schoolers and and, and college students, and I would really think about primarily about what to look for, you know, in a spouse. And this is certainly great stuff to look for when you're thinking that you're in love. You better have a sense of whether the other person really loves you or not. But I never really thought about this until till this week, about how there are two positive attributes of love here. It's patient and it's kind. And then there's a whole string of things that, that, that says love is not. Love isn't this way. It's not that way. But we start with love is patient and it's kind. Patience is easy, right? How long has it been since you've, you, you've had a scene like that? You've seen something like this. M- maybe yesterday, maybe it was 30 years ago. But you know, a mother says to her teenager, Honey, this is the third time I've asked you to clean your room. You need to go do that right now. And the teenager responds, of course, by saying, Oh, mother, how foolish of me to have forgotten. I will go and do that right away. <laughs> generally, it's not. It's, generally, it's more along the lines of, You're telling me to clean my room? Have you looked at your room lately? Something like that. Love, love is patient. It, it may have been a long time since you've been told to to clean your room, but maybe it's not been so long since you had to stand in a government line of some sort where you recognized that people were not being quite as efficient and attentive as they could be, <laughs> you know, and they're taking my time. Come on, you know. Or maybe in the context of 1 Corinthians 13, you've been suffering long with the person in your neighborhood or in a Bible study or in the church. This person has different ideas than you do, and you've suffered long, and it's getting old. 
But that's what love does. That's the old King James translation. It's a good one. Love suffers long. So love is patient and it's kind. Think about the last time you were frustrated with someone. We don't have to think 30 years, do we? Were you kind? For those of you who are married or living with your family and maybe you share a dorm with another, there's a very strong possibility that there are differences between you and the person with whom you share life so closely. Probably orderliness is more important to one of you than it is to another. Being on time, you know, is something that one says, this is very, it's a core value of my life. Being on time is not necessarily a core value of the other person's life. Spending habits are different, as are body clocks. You know, one of you wakes up at the crack of dawn saying, good morning world, and the other one doesn't know his or her name before two cups of coffee have been consumed. And, you know, so you've got all of this going on. Now, with these differences, are you kind in the way that you treat people, regardless of which side you're on? Love is kind. Furthermore, love, something's something's out of place here. Love does not envy. Jealousy is the cause of a lot of sin, isn't it? I mean, there are different ways we could look at this. Love is not possessive. That's what jealousy does. It's possessive. You know, and, and, and by the way, students, if you're in a relationship with a, with a boy or a girl, it's a boyfriend-girlfriend thing, and this person does not want you to have any pleasure in life apart from him or her, that's not a good relationship. It's not a good sign that someone is possessive. It's not a good sign when, when someone wants to do everything with his family and nothing with your family. Love is not jealous. Love is not jealous of God either, of God's favor. You know, sometimes in life we want to take others down or we want to see them fail because if they fail and we succeed, then that indicates, especially in spiritual matters, that, that God is on my side. I, I can promise you, if you play that game, you're going to live long enough to lose big time at some point. And we tend to think that way. God is on my side because I'm jealous of God's favor. What we read about a few weeks ago in Romans 14 is that God accepts us all. We don't accept one another. God accepts us so Accept one another and and love one another. Verse 4 also tells us that love does not boast. It is not proud. When I was a young man, there was a, a song, and you saw this phrase in a lot of places. Love means you never have to say you're sorry. 
That's ridiculous. I mean, it, it is just about the opposite, in fact. Love means that you absolutely must say you're sorry. I mean, it's not a great marriage technique. I won't say I'm sorry, honey. I'm just going to have to live with that. I'm not going to apologize. Well, we do apologize sometimes, and it's kind of like, sorry, all right? Are you happy? I've said it. Is that what you wanted? Yeah, that's what I wanted. But what about genuine regret for our words or our actions? How long has it been since you said these words? I was wrong. I'm sorry. You know what those words do for a relationship? They can heal like nothing else can. Now, I'm not saying that you admit that you're wrong. When You, you know, there was Bill Gothard used to talk about if you're 5% wrong, the other person's 95%, you come in there the whole way. It's not always healthy to say, I was wrong about everything. No, it, you can't do that. But when you are wrong, you need to, we need to admit it. I was wrong. I'm sorry. How long has it been since you've said that to your husband or wife? Now, don't go do something just so you can say it, you know. But ask the Lord to help you. That. And, and, and you know what's difficult about that? We can be taken advantage of if we say that. Yes, you were wrong. And you know how it goes from there. But love is not proud. It, it is not arrogant. Once again, the King James captures the precise meaning of this word. Love is not puffed up. We use expressions like, quit talking about, you know, you better quit bragging about Jack Lucas. He won't be able to get his head through the door. Jack Lewis, I'm sorry, Jack Lucas is not here right now. He might be here in the second service. Jack Lewis back. You, if you don't quit talking about it, he's going to get the big head. Love is not puffed up. In, in, in this instance, in 1 Corinthians 13, it has more to do with the arrogance that came along with positions that people held in the church. My way of serving God is better than your way of serving God. You know, and it's just, we're all prone to that. Pride is bad. Spiritual pride can be deadly. Just look at history. Look at all the wars that have been fought over spiritual pride. And all believers are susceptible to a self-righteousness that looks down on others who don't meet up with our standards in this particular area or that particular area. It goes off in, in, in every direction. It's often the case that when two Christians have differences that both sides struggle with this sin. And when we feel like God is on our side, we can be dangerous. If love does not boast, nor is it arrogant, then it would have to be characterized by humility. One of the best ways to, to gain humility is to look at the cross. It's what we've been singing about. Oh, how He loves us. Look at, look at what He did. For us, he went 
to the cross. We're going to be talking next week in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about the, the foolishness of preaching, the foolishness of the, of the word of the cross and how it's the power of God. It's, it's foolish to the, foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. The cross of Jesus shouts God's love to us. And then it says, and now you die to yourself so that you will be able to love other people as I have loved you. When you're hanging on a cross, you're either going to be humble or humiliated, one of the two. Humiliation, a sense of humiliation, is not humility. We can seek to humiliate other people. People can seek to humiliate us, but they can't really unless we allow them to. But when we are humble and we say, I'm yours, Lord, then we're in a position to truly love other people. So our hope for heaven, our hope for living a meaningful life, and our hope for loving others and making an impact in the kingdom are all wrapped up in the gospel. Love does not boast, it is not arrogant, and it is not rude. I, I have been f- flat out amazed at some of the rude things that people have said to me in this life. I mean, just, just amazed. I have been even more amazed at some of the rude things that I have said to other people. They weren't always intended to be rude. Sometimes they were meant to be funny, but they weren't funny at all. Sometimes I was so convinced of the rightness of my position that I felt bold to speak God's Word to somebody else. And sometimes I was right and sometimes I wasn't. And when I'm not right in a situation like that, I can be very, very rude. How many times do I wish I, I, I could take back some of the words that I've said? But, but we know once they go out, it's too late. They don't come back. You can't bring them back. And, and being aware of that, that's why some of us are very careful with what we say from here. But our body language speaks volumes. And then it's even worse when, when you send the message and the person says, I perceive this, and you're saying, are you paranoid or something? You know, what's your problem? Love is not rude. It does not insist on its own weight. That, that, that's the heart of love, isn't it? We're to think more of the other person than we do ourselves. We care for and look out for their interest above our own. There's always compromise, of course. But if I really love Allison as I should, then I'll make sure the dishes are done right after the meal, which is important to her, rather than wait for a more convenient time, such as when there are no more clean dishes, you know. (laughs) Love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. The NIV says that love keeps no record of wrongs. Think, think about those two people that we talked about a while ago that, that, that are difficult for you to love. What if the Lord just wiped your memory clean of all the hurts that you have with this other person? Well, well that's impossible. 
Aren't you glad that's not impossible with God? (laughs) Aren't you glad that He doesn't love us that way? I'd like to forget about what you did, but I just can't. No, in, in Jesus, He puts it all behind Him. And in Jesus, it's possible for us. We, we had better let him live the life we can. It's part of the gospel definition that we'll see next week about him living life through us. Well, speaking of the gospel, what does verse 6 mean? Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Listen to what Gordon Fee says about this. The person full of Christian love joins in rejoicing on the side of behavior that reflects the gospel. For every victory gained, every forgiveness offered, every act of kindness. Such a person refuses to take delight in evil, either in its more global forms, war, the suppression of the poor, or in those close to home. The fall of a brother or sister, a child's misdeed. Love absolutely rejects the most pernicious form of rejoicing over evil, gossiping about the misdeeds of others. It is not gladdened when someone else falls. Love stands on the side of the gospel and looks for mercy and justice for all, including those with whom one disagrees. Now, Gordon Fee said that everybody who writes about this chapter would say something along these lines. Every single person. And it was exactly what Paul intended for them. Well, I think we could close with that, but, but, but not quite. Love bears all things where it puts up with frustrations and it protects. Love believes and hopes all things. And as much as we we may want to think this is about our relationship with God because of faith and hope, it's about our relationship with others. And it doesn't mean that we always believe the best in other people about everyone and everything. It does mean, though, that love never ceases to have faith. It never gives up hope. We, we give up hope all the time, especially when it comes to other people. Once again, aren't you glad God doesn't do that with you? It's difficult, as is the next phrase. Love endures everything. In fact, verse 8 says, love never fails. Are we going to live like this, this side of eternity? Of course not. Is it expected? Well, yes, it is. This is how we're expected to love. So what? Our only hope for loving people like this is for Jesus to love through us. Some people quote 1 Corinthians 13 and they take out love and they say, Jesus, Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. That's not the point that Paul was making in 1 Corinthians 13. Except that it's the point of all of Scripture. it's, it's, It's the point. That if Jesus doesn't do this through us, it doesn't happen. If He does live through us, if we yield to Him, then the impossible becomes reality. Well, we'll close looking at verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke, thought, and reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up. Childish ways. Love is the mark of maturity.
And it's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to love. To love each other. It's not up to others. It's not up to you. It's up to me. I've been looking at this all week. I've been thinking about this all week. And I've been thinking about Brad. I've been thinking about you. I've been thinking about me. And that's how every one of us needs to approach this chapter.